Hello and a big welcome back to Expected Goals. I were delighted to make uh, this podcast, even though we weren't really expecting to to have the opportunity to do an unbelievable result for the Albion, probably ranking right up there in terms of results at the Amex. Uh, it's an unbelievable situation. It's you know it's still it's twenty four hours or so on, and I'm kind of in disbelief. Um, I need I just need verification, Liam. Could you independently? confirm that Dan Burns scored the winner against Manchester City when we came back from two goals down to win 3-2. That happened, right? Yeah, quite quite ridiculous, to be honest. Um, uh, you know, I was quite hopeful at half-time. Obviously, it looked quite favourable for us with, with them down to 10. We'd, we'd pushed a bit and not really created much. I think it was sort of an opportunities, but not chances scenario. Um, and yeah, to, to think that sort of come 50, 51 minutes, we um, were 2-0 were down. And to think, you know, I, I sent someone that, if, if you think back to when we couldn't seem to win a, a home Premier League game for um, for love nor money, sort of back earlier on in the season, if this was sort of December time and someone had said to us, you know, you'll be looking at your final home game of the season with 8,000 fans there, you'll be beating City 3-2 despite being 2-0 down with, with 40 minutes to play and Dan Burn will be scoring the winner all to record, uh, equal your Premier League record points total. I think um, we'd have all have probably laughed quite audibly in their face. So um, a, a really, really good win. Um, and then as, as Charlie and I were sort of saying off pod that, both of us really quite weren't sure, uh, quite weren't sure. Sorry, if, if Burns' goal was going to stand, that we both thought it might be offside. And I thought, you know, at the time, I thought this is such a big goal, just for, you, you know, how how momentous it would be, such a big win against a really really quality side. You know, they were a record breaking away side when they came into that fixture, so that makes it even, you know, even sweeter. Champions League finalists, and you know, when that got given and got confirmed and at full time, it was, you know, what a way to welcome fans back. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Um, I think we've got a lot to talk about. It's an unbelievable result um, and and a great night to to have fans back in the stadium and to to see them cheering on the team and and getting behind them to uh, to that extent to to spur on a comeback of incredible incredible magnitude is um, is you know quite quite heartwarming. Really, it's been a difficult frustrating season I guess um, maybe in the sense that we've played some good stuff but we haven't quite got the rewards that at times we felt that uh, we we could have got but you know it all feels worth it in the end with the the project that we're that we're embarking on the kind of football that we're trying to play and there is you know there's a long list of exceptional players that I'd, that I'd want to pick out I'm going to pick out one before we get on to the match winner who I you know we have to we have to wax lyrical about I want to pick up one who hasn't didn't get too much in terms of the plaudits because there were some exceptional stand-up performances in Trossard, in Basuma, in Webster and, of course, Burn. But Alexis McAllister was incredible. I think in the first half, the, his insane pressing was, uh, was, was very, very noticeable. And uh, looking at the stats that you've compiled, Liam, after the game, uh, no, no surprise, ranks top uh, out of Brighton players for final third pressures. And some some very um, interesting creative capabilities also. Nine progressive passes received, three successful passes into the box. Those are both the top rankings amongst Brighton players. And actually third for ball recoveries with, with 10, which uh, I assume Basuma's top for, for that, as he, as he often is. But um, what did you make of McAllister's performance? I think he will... He, Alzate... There's a couple of players that I was mentioning to, to, uh, to somebody that... I think they are uh, uh, the best way to describe. I guess are end game Potter players. I think those are players that aren't quite there yet in terms of experience, in terms of ability, but have incredibly high ceilings. And I think at the end of the day, those are the players that Potter wants to 
wants to have in his team. I think Alzate started the season uh, as a pair with Basuma. Um, really, really impressed in pre-season and in early games, but there was some elements of naivety. The, the, the results at the start of the year weren't, you know, as maybe as good as they could have been, which has been a theme that's continued. And I think when he lost his place and hasn't hasn't been able to kind of break back into the team as such, partly due to injury and illness, but also partly due to to form and, and Adam Milana being a bit more of a of a of a force and a presence in that midfield. I think Alzate's had, you know, a t- time to kind of bed in. I think that he ultimately will be a very, very important part of our midfield, but I don't think he's quite there yet. Um, but to, to return to the initial question, McAllister, how did you, how did you rate his performance, and you know what, what what can he bring in the in the future, looking at next season? He's Brighton's energizer bunny, really, isn't he? As you were saying, Charlie, a, a really really keen presser, and to have that ability is again probably something that doesn't quite get the credit that it deserves. It's one of those, you know, we, we've often talked about the the marginal details and the marginal gains on on this pod before when it comes down to we've spoken about aerial duels, you know, tackling and those those fine details that you need to all go together to um, you know, have an effective performance to win a game. And yeah, I thought we stifled a, a City side quite well in terms of build-up. Um, that is in, you know, in terms of at least in, in an organised sense, I thought um, I was quite disappointed really with, with how we dealt with them in transition, especially, you know, I know the Foden goal was immense, but they picked us apart quite easily, I felt. Um, and perhaps it needs to be better in terms of our attacking of, uh, you know, actually getting that ball into a final area or losing it for a throw-in or, you know, shooting early like McAllister tried to. So, He's got a lot of quality, and as you say, he's sort of shown glimpses this season. He was really, really good in the in the reverse fixture as well. Something I put in the previous one on, on on the website was that he ranked really high in some of the numbers that day. And you know, the ability to relentlessly press is something that we lost in Neil Mapai, one of the best presses in the league without a shadow of a doubt. And you know, to have the ability, I know he's not necessarily had too many minutes this season, but come the end of a season, um, clearly somebody can step up for a big game is is really, really good. And, to have that as sort of your your depth option that you know he's not even necessarily a, a key starter for us is is really really big. Um, in terms of what his pressures accounted for, they're about a sixth for all of our pressures in the final third. So, you know, really accounting for a lot of Brighton's work there. Um, impressive performance from him, and you know, on another day he got into a good couple of shooting opportunities. He had one well blocked, but I think it was was Ruben Diaz who you know finally managed to get up from being sat down by Leo Trossard at least two or three times. Um, and and that will benefit us in future as well. You know, we we've often spoken about in terms of XG and trying to create good quality shooting opportunities. But to have a player that can score from range, one is, is fantastic. It gives you an option, you know, if you've not got anything else on. But also players will clock onto that and, and analysts do when they when they do their research. And, you know, no team in particular wants to concede from from far out. That never looks good in the defence. So uh, we saw at Leeds as well, did a, did a thread earlier this season on, on uh, the opening goal at Leeds, which of course McAllister assisted. Um, and, and when he was initially shaping up to look like, uh, look like he was going to shoot, uh, he ended up drawing one of the defenders out and slotted someone in. Um, you know, again, that is something that perhaps we didn't see anything of against City, but it's definitely an element to his game. So really excited to see how he kicks on next season. Um, as you mentioned as well, with, with Azarte, someone who links play really, really nicely. I think they're quite similar in their styles of play, at least in possession. Um, I perhaps thought McAllister might be a bit more um, directly creative for other players, if I'm honest, in terms of um, when he combines in the final third off combinations and, and looking to cross the ball more, but I've been impressed to see that he's, you know he's operated um, a lot more centrally perhaps and, and looking to link play in that sort of zone fourteen area just on the, just on the edge of the box. Um, so yeah, de- definitely a big one, you say, Charlie. And I think that's a fair analysis of, of the end game idea that um, their players that and just with one eye on the Euros, I know people often will look at teams before tournaments and say, oh, you know, it's a, it's a team for uh, maybe the next tournament. I, I don't think we 
you know, should consider this Brighton team by any means in its peak. There's definitely players that we've got that are peaking, but you know, this this average age is one of the youngest, uh, one of the youngest in the league, and I think it's comfortably our, our youngest in Premier League history. So to achieve sort of a record points total or at least joint as we speak now, and before obviously we make the trip to the Emirates where we do have a good record is I think all the more impressive and points to a really, really good season. And yeah, what what's a great way to end it at home after as we've said, having having had such a bad start to the season, ending at five unbeaten after going um, uh, that's five unbeaten at, at home in the Amex after going the first eight without a win is is quite the contrast. And I think in the uh, in the calendar year table, so for 2021, we are we are tenth in the league, seven wins, seven draws, seven losses, and that's you know very very well balanced. And if we could hit a top half finish, I think everyone would be delighted with that next season. That would be that would be incredible, as you say. The home form has has really upturned of recent. I don't. It's gone a little bit under the radar, especially defensively. We've been extremely solid at the back, and and you you just have to look forward to 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 next year. And it is an exciting time. It's ironic, maybe we don't want to be peaking now. We kind of can have a long summer. Euros will keep us um, keep us happy for for a while, but obviously we want to be back at the Amex as soon as possible. It's made me very, very jealous. I wasn't able to go, unfortunately, um, on on the Tuesday. So that's um, a bit of a shame, but I'm just very excited to be back. Looking at the stats from the match winner himself, Dan Byrne, some, I mean, you know, it's just, it's an exceptional, exceptional sight to see him, um, see him return in that way. The most final third passes completed out of all players 16 out of 19 attempted, which is just phenomenal. Someone who's meant to be playing left centre-back, not even left wing-back as he often does, but left centre-back. Three shots, two on target, the most out of any players. And five ball recoveries, which is third best out of any players um, on the pitch. I am so, so happy for him. Um, You know, we can talk a little bit about the stats as I've just rattled them off, but I think we'll probably just leave it there in terms of the, the statistical element to it. Him as a as a person, as a as a character, he's clearly somebody who is always trying their best in training. And for me, it really, really matters and it's important to me. I know others have different criteria or things that, that kind of rank as more important to them with the players. Obviously, you know, you want to see the best quality on the pitch, but I think Dan Byrne brings a lot of quality. He brings a lot of things that other people, other players can't. Um, I, I'm very, very pleased for him uh, because I think the, the criticism that he has received is very unwarranted. I think he's been one of the most consistent performers. Um, he's had bad games, um, but so has so have all of our players. Um, you know, Dunk made a, a poor mistake in in the previous, uh, not the previous game, the game before that. Sorry, and um, and fair enough because he's normally exceptional. And and Dan Burns made made his errors over over the season, over the time that he's been with us, and the progression that he's made has been has been fantastic. I, I really really rate him. Uh, I wouldn't want to see him drop out of of match day squads any any time soon. Although um, you know we obviously are excited to see the likes likes of Van Hecker, um, Erstegaard, Roberts coming through. We've got a, a plethora of young centre backs. Um, on that note. You can expect a um, a piece on Brighton's under 23s defensive and goalkeeping talents coming to you very shortly. Uh, it's been in the works for a while. We're going to do three pieces: uh, one focusing on defenders, one on midfielders, and then one on attackers. And defenders will be coming to you first. So all of those players and more will be included in that, and that will be on the Twitter um, soon. I guess it'll be it'll be very very soon after we um, 
after we upload the podcast. Liam, back to back to Burn, back to the to the now. Um, you know, he was he was fantastic. The stats don't lie. But just watching watching him yourself, you know, what were your thoughts on his performance and you know, a deserved match winner, you'd have to say. Yeah, he's he's a really good one, Burn. Um, I think one of the, the big things that people will underrate about him, uh, and these things might might sound silly, is one. Um, runs beyond the ball incredibly well. Again, it's not something any players are incapable of, and whether this is down to um, what Potter set them up to do tactically in their instructions, um, or whether this is just down to player tendencies. Again, we, we don't know. We can only hypothesise. Um, but there's been numerous times this season. You know, we saw it as sort of very similar to the Everton goal that we scored um, last season when we, when we won three two. You know, obviously the same scoreline. Um, and I, I recall as well for the the opening goal we scored at West Ham when Burn crossed from a pie, and he eventually turned that into the opener um, this season. That. You know, when he plays the ball forward, he then gets around his man. And that, from a tactical perspective, you know, we can talk about the, the data all that we like. But there's a reason why he gets final third passes is because he's a really good player to, to pass forward. Plays nice, neat passes. I know that there's times where he's maybe a bit uncontrolled. Um, he's lost the ball, but I think he's on balance, a really worthwhile player to, to have in there. He gets pressed quite a bit as well, which doesn't surprise me because, you know, I, I think, and this is to do him no disrespect, but people look at him and he maybe doesn't look like someone who is going to be really exceptional on the ball. Um, not perhaps got the capacity to spin someone too well either. I think his ball control is very, very good, by the way, um, especially for someone who hasn't played out on the touchline and, and looked to receive a lot of pass on his back foot much in his career. So I think he's, he's very, very talented in that respect. Um, and you know, We've mentioned that, I won't go over it too much, but in, in recent weeks we've talked about you know the value of having someone that can win you those aerial duels in terms of particularly from goal kicks when you're kicking those long. Um, yeah, is you know he he's a real sort of fine details player, and I think in the first half in particular we were sort of really struggling for sort of those runners beyond the ball, um, and and that's something where when you lose someone like Neil Mapai or you don't have someone like Aaron Connolly or Danny Welbeck in there, um, I think is is a real big thing, and you notice it. Of course, we we play to the width of the pitch for the most most part when we're in possession, and you know from from a coaching perspective that's one of your key principles. Can you have width, but you also need height as well in a team to to stretch your position and. You know, we, we looked dangerous and we looked able to get in behind City. Of course, I get why we didn't always want to risk the ball. And they're not the sort of team you want to lose the ball to um, on too many occasions, City, as they showed us in sort of their ability in transition. But um, Dan Byrne, yeah, absolutely exceptional. And that commitment to run beyond the ball provides us with those forward options to, to break down teams and to get in behind. Um, so I think, yeah, that's definitely an underrated element of his game. Um, he's, he's a fantastic player. And as you say, Charlie, he's definitely one that... Um, especially in the absence of March as well. And I, I know people have been right to say that, you know, we've had to deal with losing the likes of sort of March, Lamptey, um, Webster for a period of time as well. But don't sort of question, you know, the, the value, even down to the fact that he's left-footed and players out on that left-hand side naturally want to receive on his back foot and stretch the play. Um, fantastic player. And if anyone is interested, um, was on a podcast, well, when we when we record this, uh, the day after the City game, was on a podcast yesterday um, with, with the Top Bins Talk guys. And that's uh, on the Twitter page now. We chatted to, the, to them a, a fair bit about Dan Byrne. So we... We won't cover Dan Byrne too much more. Um, not that we don't want to, but we, we have so much to talk about. We could be here for, for hours otherwise. Um, so, yeah, if you want to hear a bit more about Dan Byrne and a bit more perhaps of um, the coaching side of it and his value, then then do go and give a listen to that. It's a really, real good fun podcast to be on. Um, Charlie, I just want to sort of spitball a couple more stats at you. I know we said we wouldn't um, do too many stats, but some, some of these are fantastic. I was interested to see that it was our first Premier League win without Dunk. Um, obviously, we came oh so close to doing so against West Ham um, last time out. Um, in all fairness, on reflection, it's a it's a worldly strike from side Ben Rama that um, has ended up, you know, halving um, halving the points in the end. So, no real complaints about that. But the first time I believe that we've come from two 0 down in a Premier League game to go on to win. I know we did it a couple of times under Hutton at, at Southampton. I was there that night at St Mary's and against Fulham as well the, the week before that. Uh, our, our first win that we've had this season when we've been losing the game. 
Um, I know we did it a couple of times last season, but you know our, our first one this season, and that uh, I think we've been on on the end of enough um, ourselves of leading in games and teams coming back to win. That it was really really sweet to have it the other way, and you know I think people have put up Charlie with with, with my whining at times. It just we can't seem to hold out games for and um, for whatever it is, whether it be sort of individual errors that we've had or whether we've had systematic flaws a bit at times and just poor decisions. Um, so to, to see that out and to, you know, flip it on a team and do it the other way was absolutely fantastic. And that gives us 11 points this season against, I don't say big six, but I'll say Super League sides instead, which is a club record. We had 10 last season, five the season before that, and seven in 17-18. So obviously we've still got Arsenal to play. We played 11 of our 12 games against um, the, the big, ugly Super League sides. Um, and here's hoping we can go on and, and be nice to finish the season with at least a point. And that way we'd, we'd hit 42 uh, and get a get a record points total. And that would be um, really, really good. Uh, and on the note, Charlie, just sort of how good we were against City. And I know they had 10 men, right? But I think Man City with 10 men is probably about the same standard as most teams with 11. So I feel like it's probably quite a fair, um, fair balance of it. We recorded the most short-creating actions of any team against City in the Premier League this season. That was 29. Um, we had six shots on target, which is our second best performance this calendar year. And that's the second most that City have faced this whole season. Um, and the most this calendar year against them as well. I think it's only Leeds with seven that have had more in a game. Um, and a great stat, you'll know this one, Charlie, you've probably already seen it. But it's the lowest possession percentage that a Pep Guardiola side have had in a top flight game, just 37%. Um, and we were sort of speaking um, before the pod and we were saying, obviously, about his displeasure, um, you know, Graham Potter's celebrations, which, of course, he doesn't need to justify himself to anyone, Graham Potter. And maybe it just seems a bit weird because he is so, you know, well-known for being so calm and so relaxed. He always gets spoken about his degree and, you know, his his psychological sort of nouse, I guess. Um, and whether that was to do with fans, the you know, just, just how big a game it was, whatever, he's fully entitled to do that. There's plenty of managers that would, you know, react in a lot more spirited manner than that. And that's just sort of their personality. But, um, it, was, it was great to see so much passion from, from Graham on the sidelines. Clearly, a game that meant a lot to him. Um, and, you know, with, with what Guardiola said before about, you know, Potter being uh, his favourite English coach, that he loves the way that Brighton play, he, you know, quickly changed his tone once they lost. So I was very interested to see that. But, um, yeah, fun, fantastic all round. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, so many fantastic factors of the of the game, really. The the possession stat that I had seen, yeah, and it's, it's pleasing and it shows that... Um, we're able to, well, it's the way that we like to play. We like to have the majority of the ball. It's a good defensive weapon as well as being able to control and construct attacks. I think a lot of teams, I mean, look, there's lots of different ways to win games, but ultimately when you concede an early goal and then your opposition goes down to 10, you kind of have to be the protagonist. You know, being against City is a sort of an irrelevance, but you sort of have to be the protagonist in the game. You need to try and control the ball and, and build attacks, but I think a lot of teams would expect to play against City in a in a defensive low block in a low block and surrender a lot of the ball. And not not all teams are able to kind of recalibrate their approach and adapt to the new situation. Whereas you know I was fully confident that we would we would be trying to play that way anyway, and 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 that was no issue. Um, taking the majority of the possession and and it was a lot. It really was. Um, surprising to see exactly how much it was but uh very very pleasing to see that we were in complete control of uh, the ball um to pick up on what what you mentioned about city being probably you know close to being as good to other teams with um with 11 when they have 10 i think it's probably in different sh- elements they're kind of better and worse i'd probably say they're on average a little bit worse at holding out under 
extreme direct pressure when they're kind of having to defend in a more dogged way. I think they're probably slightly below average in that sense. I think the the average time they could hold out if they were just defending for their lives in that in that sense, making blocks and defending quite deep is a little bit less than the other teams that are more used to it. But on the flip side of that, they are probably, but even with 10, by far and away the best team, as you said, attacking in transition. Foden's goal was exceptional. It was really, really good. And there was a couple of times where they where they broke through quite easily. And as you said, I think maybe we could have done a little bit more. I was surprised. We played Ben White in midfield in the away fixture. And he did a really good job at stifling a lot of those fast breaks. When he plays higher up, he tends to just win the ball back higher up. And I think, you know, there's pros and cons with with him playing in defence versus playing in, in midfield. Um, I think that's a useful weapon to have. I think when he plays in midfield, he does that aspect of the game really well. And I was actually surprised when um, Azate came off that, that Ben White didn't move for, forward a little bit further to try and win the ball back a little bit quicker. Um, but in any sense, they are fantastic at uh, attacking in transition and at, with disjointed defences. Um, Foden's goal was, was excellent. To mention Dunk, I think I saw, I can't remember where I saw it, but there was definite discourse about the lack of lack of leadership Um when when he went off the pitch against Wolves and also in the game against West Ham, which I think was extremely harsh in in the moment because I think the goals that the first goal that Wolves scored was an exceptional goal. I don't think there was too much in terms of a lack of leadership and a lack of effort and application from the players, especially defensively. And West Ham very much the same. I think that the goal that was scored was just a really good goal. And having looked back on it, I. I don't see too many opportunities where Dunk's presence might have might have alleviated what happened, and and that myth was completely dispelled tonight. Not tonight, yesterday. It just all feels like one blur. But uh, yeah, I you know even without Dunk, a first win was really pleasing. Um, I think that he is obviously so important. I expect to see him back for Arsenal, but at the same time, it just shows Webster that burned that White. Who actually had quite a few shots. Um, was expecting to see his annual late season goal that he likes to get. So you know, lump everything you have on him scoring at Arsenal because it is always the way uh, with him, as it seems. Um, but yeah, incredible to 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 watch the performance in so many metrics. And the final thing, I guess, a little bit disappointed in Guardiola not to not to have the the presence of mind to to graciously commend his adversary, who who he reportedly um, admires and respects a lot. Uh, but we, as we said, we mentioned before we were recording that I think he's just such a winner that even even to someone that he respects, you know, he, he's, he is fully rattled um, at the thought of not winning a football game. And that just shows what a good manager he is because he can't stand not winning. And that is that's obviously a good sign uh, in, in any top manager. Let's move on. To, we got quite a lot of questions from the Twitter uh, which was really pleasing to see. And we'll probably just rattle through as many as we can. We'll kind of speed run them. We've also got, I believe, a Strictly Come Lancing. Am I correct? We do indeed. Obviously, a very special uh, Strictly Come Lancing after the game. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think... Uh, thank you for all the questions, by the way. Some of them, um, uh, I guess, some are, some are genuine questions. Some are, are people having a very good laugh. And um, they're definitely, I think, the, the beers were flowing for somebody last night. But even in whatever state you were in, some, some very funny questions in there. 
Um, some questions that we probably will answer in future pods as well. Um, some stuff regarding sort of recruitment, who do we need to sign? We've obviously done a whole pod looking at a potential striker. I think, um, you know, hopefully that is something that we can quash over the, the summer window. Hopefully we'll just sign a striker now so people can stop asking us about it um, and, and bits and pieces. There was one that I felt kind of harshly attacked by about how many talented young players you would get through your scouting scouting net and if so why um i don't really scout too many young players in depth it's not really um, a part of what i do I'm, I'm not too sure about you charlie um but i think it's it's very hard to to scout um especially given how how wide football is nowadays um and to be honest with you i think brighton do a pretty good job of scouting sort of on our behalf that we just then look at them and do some analysis on them and talk about them here on the pod once they get here so um i think they're definitely sort of covering our, our bases in that respect yeah, um, unfortunately, my um, my career has prohibited me from continuing uh, the brief bit of scouting that I've done um, for uh, for this pod. Um, I still stand by my claim that Roman Yeremchuk uh, in the Belgian league would be an exceptional forward for us, and and I am now converted to a Jamie McLaren fanboy. I think he would also be an excellent striker, and if that happens as a partnership, I will. I'll take a loan and I'll pay for them myself because that would be um, a very pleasing sight to see. But yeah, not not too much scouting from our side, and we trust the um, the club's recruitment to to do a good job on that. And you know, we've we've had a good record thus far, and I think that we will we will probably continue that to rattle through. We'll go we'll go through most of them, and some of the really good questions we'll probably keep. So if you don't hear your question answered, we're really sorry. It's because it was actually such a good question that we're going to answer it fully better in a, in a pod another time when we have a bit more bit more time to talk about it so Liam I'm going to do this is quick fire we'll just go through them as quickly as we can who is stopping us from winning the league next year I mean currently no one at the moment because we have got a 100% record in, in our new kit um, very true that is that's good enough for me the numbers don't lie yeah that is very true this one is a really good question and I think I'll, I will touch on it for like a minute and then we'll do it properly next time because we really like it and I think there's a lot of interesting things that come out of it. Are we the most positionally fluid team in the Prem? I would say no. Um, I think we're close in terms of players playing in multiple positions and out of position. Obviously, Moda and Gross as wing-backs at times this season. There's a lot of flexibility there, players moving positions mid-game. Um I think Leeds, if you looked at the the kind of heat maps, I think it would suggest a lot of their players, the crazy overlaps, the third man runs, which Bielsa is famed for, probably distort their team's shape significantly. Uh, and the same with their with their pressing, their kind of man for man plus an extra man um, approach, which is which is interesting. Probably will take the title for that. Liam, do you have any any kind of brief thoughts on our flexibility we are a flexible team it has to be said yeah ridiculously um i guess what one of my points with it would be that i don't know if it's always you know a great thing um and i don't want to obviously put a dampener on the game at all because obviously we, we show just how good it can be um but i think it's it's teams have reasons for however they however they play their style i know Sheffield united were very good with it last season having their their famous overlapping center backs that city do it a lot with it's, it's often sort of rotations with a specific um sense as well that They'll do it a lot into their midfield. I know Leeds in the Championship did a lot of stuff in wide areas. Um, but again, sort of under Hewton previously in the Premier League, we'd done we done that with sort of our, our pivot players, peeling out into sort of full-back roles and pushing them on. So, yeah, I think all teams will, will use a lot more um, flexibility than what they get credit for. And it's, it's a big tool, I know, sort of in the coaching world. 
Um, and I think it's really about striking a balance because, you know, that, that Dan Bergo is, is absolutely amazing and fantastic. But for the most part, he's obviously not the player you particularly want getting on the end of your um, you know, defence splitting passes. There, there's a reason why you want, you know, your, your prime striker or your, your target player getting on the end of these certain balls. Um, as we sort of said before, it's, it's about getting your, your best players, you know, in the situations where they're going to be best. So if you've got players that are good enough to do sort of multiple roles, I think, you know, Yaka Mode has been, he's been absolutely exceptional that someone who, when I watched him at, at Lech, he was, you know, for me, a very, very good distributor of the ball, could play a forward pass really nicely. Um, and he, from a positional sense, whether this was what was coached in their patterns or um, whether this is his ability, but he did seem to be very responsive to where other teammates were and would, you know, fill in pockets of space really well. Um, with no sort of when to time that as well in terms of not arriving too early to get marked, not arriving too late to just get the ball. Um, I thought it was exceptional against City as well, Charlie, in terms of, um, you know, we haven't got too many players that I consider to be particularly exceptional 1v1. That's perhaps where I'd look, you know, if I had any say on the recruitment side, that I'd maybe look for someone like a knockout um, who, you know, you can sort of leave 1v1 in, in a wide area um, and trust him to beat a player to then get across. And I think uh, a real direct dribbler is maybe an area we could look um, to splash some cash a bit if it, if it was practical. Uh, but Modi looks really good. Um, looks really good out wide. I know that he's naturally going to drift in uh, onto his dominant right foot. Um, but you know his his running ability has been really really class. We we mentioned it in sort of the, after the Newcastle game that you know he was running across the face of his marker really well to pull a defender away to create that shooting angle. Um, a very talented individual and again someone who has come in to I guess maybe fill a role would be is probably a fair way to say it, which seems harsh on him. But he's been really really good. And I think Potter now has really got a dilemma of when he does get Sonny March and Terry Lamptey back. You know, does he revert to this wing back system? Um, because like we were good and we played some nice stuff. Um, but we were pretty subpar in both boxes with it. So it'll be an interesting, you know, predicament to see. We've played so well in 2021, for the most part, that's not been with a, you know, a wing-back system in the same sense that we had it um, with, with March and Lamptey. Then, you know, as I really feel for him in that sense of the, the sort of headache that he has. But, you know, I'm sure, sure it's a good one for him to have. Yeah, I, I don't think anything goes off the table for Potter in terms of what, what he wants to do um, in terms of what gets results. I'll, he will do the thing that he, think, he thinks is most effective. You know, March and Lamptey were, you know, putting in outstanding performances for us. I think you'd probably say that a lot of what was happening in terms of underperforming XG and not quite getting the results that we would want or deserve wasn't their fault a lot of the time. I think that, you know, if you looked at the way that we were playing and say, okay, are we are we not getting the results because of the the kind of wing back system that we're playing? You know, it's been possibly yes, but I would maybe suggest no. It's been a while since we've seen them both in action, to be fair. So it kind of feels like a long, long time ago. And it's almost hard to remember. And I don't want to over-romanticise um, too much and think that they're going to come back and, and everything's going to be unbelievable. But, you know, we just beat Man City 3-2. So sure, why not? Everything's going to be incredible as soon as those two are back on the pitch. Um, going back to, you mentioned knockout. Funnily enough, briefly there, there's a question about is Trossard the new knockout? And we kind of mentioned before the pod, we were trying to work out whether that was a, like a compliment or if that was a slight on Trossard. Or I am presuming it's a. I'm going to go with the positive angle, which is that it's a, a a positive thing, and Trossard is someone who is able to produce that moment of magic as he did uh, last night. Um, go past players, likes to fake to shoot. Um, so there's some similarities there. I think Trossard probably does rank up there in terms of players who's able to to beat a man. I think you're probably right by saying we don't have too many of those in the squad, but he would be one of them if uh, if we were requiring that as as part of a particular game plan to target a player. Uh, funnily enough, Eric Garcia, who was 
basically already agreed that he wants to leave Manchester City for for quite a while now. Coming on with a very early substitution, which I was surprised to see uh, Man City do, um, was was really not great when he came on and, and did not look right at all, especially um, instantly when he came on against Jakob Moda, who definitely was getting the better of him in that first half. Um, yeah, Liam, I guess, is Trossard the new knockout in that sense? I think, you know, we've talked about his slow slow progression and um, the first player to get um, five goals and assists plus um, since Pascal Gross in his uh, in his breakout season for us. Um, you know, I think maybe more broadly, where, where do you see Trossard fitting in? Because he has played central striker um, as in a pair a lot of this season. Uh, do you maybe see him reverting more back to a winger, attacking midfielder-ish kind of player? Or is he his ball striking ability enough to keep him as a centre forward for you? It's a tricky one. I guess he's probably one of the closest players we've got in terms of that knockout mould of where you look at someone you may be considered to be to be a match winner, someone who is going to... I think he's maybe a bit more balanced in his sort of creativity, um, but both can sort of drift in well from sort of either flank to, to shoot or to cross. Both are pretty good 1v1. Um, knockout maybe not quite as two-footed as Trossard, but just from a personal perspective, I never really like to try and pigeonhole players too much in being like another player for us because, you know, they've both done, well, I think Trossard, he's getting there now. So as we've said that he's kicked on a, a fair bit in recent weeks, um, but both done very, very good roles for us in, you know, in the circumstance under which they played. So Knockart, you know, was ridiculously exceptional in the championship and Trossard now is looking at being a very, very good Premier League player. Um, I, I guess style-wise, yeah, they're not entirely dissimilar. They're probably closer to being alike than they are being disliked. Um, but uh, as I've said before, I think someone who is quite a direct goal threat, um, I'm, I'm particularly interested in seeing Arnold Danjuma uh, at Bournemouth at the moment, is, is someone who I think for me would sit uh, in that role very, very well, um, is yeah, the, the sort of player that I'd be looking to recruit. So having someone like a knockout and that sort of player on your side is always good, someone that you can almost literally just give the ball to and say, you know, you know, go and score a goal, go and do something with it. Um, as good as our, our sort of attacking um, patterns have been at times and trying to, trying to break teams down and having lots of the ball, in sort of high advanced areas. I think City top the league for dribbles leading to shots. So, you know, as I've said numerous times on the pod, if you can hurt teams in multiple ways, it's only going to be beneficial. And, you know, having those individual brilliance players in your team is, is one way to definitely do that. Yeah, I think he, he's definitely got that capability. I would, I think in, in the past, I've, I've kind of tried to, probably shouting at him quite a lot in, in quite a rude and uncomplimentary manner to, to get him to take people on. But often that isn't the optimal thing. It's what we like to see as fans. I think you we'll see different you know different changes with um with with fans back i think players will act in different ways i think Basum has talked about the energy that the fans give him um you know he's been a very disciplined player this season as part of been part of the reason why he's been so effective um but we we love to see that we love to see him you know be spurred on by the crowd drive drive forward and okay he might drag himself out of position he might shoot from 30 yards which you know, goes in once a season and everyone goes crazy. But ultimately, you know, the stats are telling you that it's not the optimal decision. Um, but, you know, that's what football is. It's about, you know, taking chances and and entertaining. And, that, you know, that is something that, you know, I, I really value. And I understand that it's maybe not the be- the most um, optimal decision to, to play. You know, there's there's different things you can do to be the most effective. But entertainment is also important and when we're trying to play a certain way as we've done with Potter I think the entertainment factor is is something that is is important to to me at least and to and to many others 
to to end the pod on a spectacular note after a spectacular result, um, Liam, would you like to bring the Strictly Come Lancing uh, to us? Uh, we had a, an excellent one in the last podcast, which was very enjoyable. Um, this one will be very much so the same. Um, I, you know, we love this and uh, we're going to have some great scores uh, after a fantastic result. So take it away, please do. Of course, my, my absolute pleasure. So as always, for anyone that doesn't know the rules, we're going to take the Sofa score ratings um, from, from their app. Unfortunately, they, they are not sponsoring this pod if they would like to. As always, please feel free, drop us a DM. Um, again, we're not going to go too in-depth as to what the score is. They have an algorithm they use and it says, I think, on their app, like at least 100 different um, pieces of data and they weight things for however they see fit. So we're, we're not here too much to try and critique the score. We're just going to see how closely Charlie can, can guess it. It's ranked out of 10. Um, and obviously the closer to 10 it is, the better the performance. Uh, we've got five players, as we do every time that we play it. Um, I'm going to give Charlie um, a chance to guess it. If he gets it bang on, he gets two points. If he gets within point one, he gets a point. And we then add it up and see what he gets. And, and hopefully he doesn't uh, embarrass himself too much. So, um, Charlie, we'll, we'll kick it off. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll try something different this week. I'll, I'll give you the five players and you can choose the order in which you'd like them. So we've got D'Angelo Trossard, Eve Suma, Adam Webster, Dan Byrne and Pascal Gross. Hmm. Okay, we'll start with Burn because he was the match winner. Let's go with Burn first. Let's uh, do it. Big damn Burn. Goal. Two goals conceded and goal. Uh, if it was FPL, it's. I think he's on my bench. Um, no surprise because he's playing Manchester City for goodness' sake. So no one can really moan at me for that. Um, but. I'm going to go high because it was the winning goal as well. And I, I really don't know how they figure this out. So, you know, it's, I'm going to go with an, an, a probably extremely optimistic, considering he's conceded twice, 7.8. That's too high. Within point one, it's 7.7. 7, so I think that's a, that's a very good effort. Really? Um, yeah, no, I think very fair. Yeah, uh, I guess a match winning goal, like some highlights we've said that he, he's done. Um, plenty sort of in the in the final third in those advanced areas. So yeah, I think that's that's probably quite a fair reflection. So one point score, Charlie, off off the mark, nice and early. Who would you like next? After Paso Gross, Adam Webster, Eve Basuma, and Leandro Trossard. Um, I'll go with Trossard next, partly because I kind of forgot the rest of them. Um, and that's, he that's great, he, <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he, for what it's worth, actually was in my fantasy team, Charlie. So you say about benching players against Man City, but but I put faith in him. Um, I say I put faith in him, I may have forgotten to do my PL yeah, team and he's sorry. remained in there, but he's in there nonetheless. Okay, yeah, I was just going to just gonna jump in there to say that you've definitely been working extremely hard on your, all your all your research papers and actually you just forgot. But, um, you know, all the respect, you know, ultimately you've got to, you know, get some get some respect for having him in there in the first place, so, so fair play. So, a goal... I don't think he did anything else. No. So it's gross and sort of McAllister for the other assists. So I'll say, that, yeah, I'm going to go with 7.6. Is that too high? Agonisingly close. It's a 7.8. So he's, he's according to their oh, algorithm. Yeah. He's mar marginally better than Dan Byrne, which... Um, yeah, I guess we'll be sort of down to their, their fine details. So, unfortunately, Charlie, no no points scored there. Um, but you've got three three to go um, and a chance for a possible seven points in total if you can finish with, with a flourish here. So, you've got Pascal Gross, 
Adam Webster and Eve Basuma to go. Pascal Gross, I'll go with. Um, assist. I mean, if if Trossard's that high, I'm going to say he's probably quite high as well for an assist. And his pass completion, his chances created is always really good. So I'll go a bit less because an assist has got to be worth less than a goal. So seven point. I've forgotten what. Seven point seven. Bang on. Two points scored. Exceptional. So you've got Adam Webster and Ibasuma to go. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the pressure on for you here, Charlie. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you 15 seconds to answer on on each one. So we'll, we'll go we'll go Adam Webster. Actually, no, we'll go we'll go Ibasuma and we'll finish with we'll finish with Webster. So Ibasuma, uh, the clock is running. 15 seconds. So lots of tackles, lots of stuff. I don't think he got booked. So 7.3. Oh, 7.2 and then point one. So you've you've scored again. So you're up to. Up to four points, you can you can make it five if you score here with with Webster. Uh, the, the clock is running. Adam Webster, first ever Ramex goal, um, a delightful header, which he got out of ten. Yeah, he did score. So, Burn was what seven point seven. So, but I'll, I'll I'll say that Webster was a little bit less, seven point five. Seven point two. They maybe been a bit harsh. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's maybe a bit harsh. I know he ranks pretty high in terms of, um, particularly I think he, he had the most passes attempted and completed of any Brighton player and progressed the ball really nicely. Um, so yeah, that's that's about a bit harsh, but I'm I'm sure he won't you know won't lose any sleep over that tonight. I, I think it'll be just fine. That's not too bad. Who was I don't know if you've got the ratings in front of you, but like who was um the work was it Danny Welbeck was I assume was the, the lowest ranked. Uh, I don't have numbers in front of me. I'm afraid this is what I've got written down on on my trusty Microsoft Word document. Um, I'm not sure how badly Welbeck could have done to be fair, because obviously he just got subbed off. He wasn't sent off at all. I know I think Jao Cancelo got a three point zero um for his red card. So. Um, well, one which took, you know, just as sort of a final point, an annoyingly long time, I thought, with VAR for them to check that. I thought, you know, it's a um, very clumsy challenge, seems sort of very similar to the dunk one against Wolves, where a player's just going in behind, hasn't got control of the ball, and is, is taking the player out. So, mm. no complaints in the end, um, and something that probably came to our advantage a bit more than what, what it would have been if they'd let Welbeck go through and he, you know, at best he would have scored, but they would have had 11. So, um, yeah, no, no complaints at all from me. I was really surprised to see the controversy surrounding that. I, I it, mm. it seemed like as soon as Welbeck was in front of him, it was any any real contact is a foul ultimately, and it, it looked pretty stonewall to me. Um, but I was surprised to see the that was apparently quite a controversial moment for for many. Um, but but there you go. I guess that's a a bit of an odd one. But to me, it looked pretty clear, and I would have been um, I wouldn't have had any complaints if it was. Uh, the other way around, which of course it was in the terms of uh, Dunk not too long ago. So we, yeah, we've covered um, the majority of things after after an incredible game. Really does rank up there in terms of Amex nights. Um, I just wish I could have been there. It's not too often that I miss games, uh, but ultimately that was uh, that was just one that I couldn't I couldn't get to unfortunately. So never mind. Um, we look very much forward to next season. We will um, we will be back with another podcast very very soon. We'll do an end of season review and we'll get back to answering all of your fantastic questions. Some really good ones in terms of, um, you know, how the, how the team's progressing and evolving. And we'll have a very interesting summer ahead of us, I'm very sure. Um, another shout out once again to our um, post that we are going to be doing for the under 23s review. Uh, that will be up very shortly after the, after the podcast. So please do keep an eye out for that. And there'll be other articles following that for the midfielders and the forwards. Liam, anything from you before we before we wrap up? 
Uh, just as a final point, I, I want to hopefully flex something that I might have done successfully. And I, I remember a few pods ago where we were chatting about our final six games that, you know, I predicted that we'd get eight points from, from the final six. Um, and we're on seven right now. So I said two wins, two draws and, and two defeats. And we've had two wins, two defeats and, and a draw. So I'm hoping, well, obviously I don't want us to drop points at Arsenal to prove me right. I'd, of course, rather a win and whatever subsequent fun we'd have from AFTV um, and, and the like. But um, yeah, well, your, your prediction, Charlie, for, for the final day. Do you know what? I've just remembered that moment when you predicted it, and I remembered my I've remembered my response, which was a jokingly uh, kind of pro, but so would it lose to Wolves and West Ham, beat City or something like that? And, yeah, and Leeds. Uh, yeah, it's, you can't you can't really write it, uh, which is just. But you, we both apparently could somehow. Yeah, there there you go. Mm. If I played that better, I could have said that my genius was on another level. But actually, mm-hmm. the team just never ceases to amaze and we wouldn't have it any other way, as of course the rest of the uh, listeners would agree. Thank you all very, very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the football as much as we did. Um, you know, Have a, a fantastic rest of your week if you're listening and we will see you in the next episode.